0: My name's Craig Josling and I'm pleased that you're here today. This is the last talk in a series that we've been doing on the Australian dream, looking at things that Aussies value and put lots of time and effort into chasing and then seeing what the Bible has has to say on these topics and the relevance for us. Our regular speaker is Al Stewart. Let me explain quickly what the format of the meeting is. Uh, Al will speak for around 20 minutes... And then after that, it's a chance for you to ask questions about the talk or to make comments about what you've heard. And you can do that three ways. The first is by texting your questions or comments to the number that will appear on the overhead. Secondly is by writing your questions down on the slip of paper and at the end of the talk just hold them up and someone will collect them and pass them on. Or you can just stick your hand up and we'll take questions from the floor using the the roving mic. The title of today's talk is, The Castle, Are We Dreaming?
1: My name is Dale Kerrigan, and this is my story. Our family lives at 3 Highview Crescent Koolaroo. Dad bought this place 15 years ago for a steal. As a real estate agent said, location, 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 and we're right next door to the airport. It will be very convenient if we ever have to fly one day. got it so cheap. It's worth almost as much today as when we bought it. Our present was going to be the heart of a major housing development, but it never got up. They reckon the planes put people off. Them and the power lines. Not Dad. He reckons power lines are a reminder of man's ability to generate electricity. He's always saying great things like that. That's why we love him so much. Dad is the backbone of the Kerrigan family. He made our In fact, he's built half this house. He's always planning extensions. I reckon we need a patio. Oh, darling, how how about we finish the back room first? No, I'm waiting on some cheap cladding. I reckon we give the patio. Dad is a tow truck driver, one of the best in the game. Steve is an apprentice mechanic.
2: John took i from the local council. Is this about the dog? No. The aerial? No. The extension? No, Mr. Kerrigan. Look, if this is about my truck on the nature strip, I've had no, it out no. with you guys.
0: No, I'm a valuable with the local council. I'm here to do a land valuation. What for? Well, all properties get valued from time to
3: time. Oh, yeah. So, so you'd be able to give me a value on it? That's my job. That'd be good. Uh, do you want me to show you around? If you wouldn't,
2: mind. Oh, not sure. at <laughs> all. Be pleased, between you and me. I reckon values around here, huh? As you can see, I've put a fair bit of work into it. Would you like me to point out the features as we go along? Oh, if you wouldn't mind. You see that lace up there?
0: Yeah?
2: Baked. Plastic. Gives the place a Victoriana feel. The chimney? Baked too.
0: Who is it there?
2: Charm. Has a bit of charm size that area. That's a big aerial. What do you think? Add a bit of value?
0: Hard to say.
2: You can overcap it, life, can't you? That's a huge aerial. And this is my backyard. I'm sorry to stop it there. We could probably spend the next twenty minutes watching the castle quite happily. Uh, if you're one of the three people in Australia that haven't seen it, uh, I can recommend it. It's a great show. Uh, the Australian Dream, all about housing and land. Uh, last Friday, as I was, uh, I was going to say driving on the M5. As I was sitting in the M5 car park out, uh, out towards Liverpool. There was a a show on the ABC Radio 702 where Richard Glover interviewed David Malouf, the Australian author. And David Malouf was talking about uh, the colony or the the convict colonies we began here in New South Wales. And what he said was at at the end of people's sentence, once they'd done their seven years, most of them really couldn't afford to go home, but most of them didn't want to for the simple reason that at the end of your sentence you were given 50 acres of land. And it was their first time to ever, their only opportunity that they would ever own land to kind of, you know, put down roots. Here's what Richard Glover said. He said, I want to fight the quarter acre block and its continuing power over the Australian imagination. Has it created a kind of optimism and materialism in Australia? David Malouf's answer. Yes, I think both of those. But it's interesting because basically this was a country we sometimes presented to ourselves as being hostile to people. But the idea of owning a bit of it so that you actually put down roots in it and it becomes home really is, if there's anything we could call the Australian dream, that's it. And I think the relationship between Australians and land is a very complex and paradoxical one which no one has really fully explored. Now, he's right. I think he's right. The essence of the Australian dream is to own the, the house, the land, the, the package, Google thinks that as well. If you uh, Google uh, Australian Dream 1950s, what comes up? House after house, uh, you've got the, uh, the magazine with the Great Australian Dream and the Holden and, and there it all is. Uh, now, I don't think our relationship with the land is the same as kind of Indigenous Australians uh, or even people who've been farming for multiple generations on the land. But there is something special. Even the Australian Bureau of Statistics uh, says this, home ownership is um, a widely held aspiration in Australia, providing security of tenure and long-term economic benefits to home uh, home owners. But more than that, owning a home can also bring social and cultural benefits such as a sense of belonging. There's something about it, isn't it, Owning a home is not just economic, it's about belonging somewhere, about home. If you're fortunate enough to have a family home that you grew up in, spent a lot of time there, that's a special place. We lived down at Matraville, the undiscovered jewel of the eastern suburbs. I don't want to boast, but in our house at Matraville at night you could hear the reversing beepers on the forklifts of Port Botany. It was just this beautiful romantic sound in the distance. Anyway, we lived there for 16 years and a few, four or five years ago we had no, only 3 years ago we had to sell that house. Long story. I was really surprised at the emotional, kind of how emotional our kids were, or two of them anyway, about selling that house, even though they'd moved out and left home. That was home, was where they belonged. So a place to belong, and I wonder if it's particularly important in Australia, in a nation of migrants, and we we certainly are, that it's to own a part of it and, and put down roots, and I think that is why it's so difficult for elderly people to leave the family home and go to some kind of you know, uh, assisted living or old folks' home or whatever you want to call it. It's not just that it's a one-way ticket, no-one ever comes back, but it's leaving where I belong. It's leaving home. So how are we going in terms of home ownership? Let me show you a statistic that I found really surprising. In terms of over the last couple of weeks, we've seen that depending on how you measure it, We are either the wealthiest country in the world in terms of assets, uh, median assets, 50% above, 50% below, the the wealthiest, or we're the second wealthiest in average wealth per person. But when it comes to home ownership, well, this is from Wikipedia, I guess he's just pretty right. Uh, Romania, highest percentage of people in the world that own their own home, 966 Lithuania is second, 91%. Hungary, 90%. Singapore, 90%. Where's Australia rank? Well, you go down past India, number nine, Norway, number 10, Russia, number 11, Brazil, number 23, Canada, number 30. We are 32nd on the list. Here, 67% of Australians own their own home. And as I've done a little bit of research, that number hasn't changed much over the last 40 years. It's varied between maybe 70%, 67%. It kind of bobs around that. Half of us, half of Australians, that, um, well, half of that 70% own their homes without a mortgage. They pay off the mortgage. But one interesting stat is this. If you're older, you're much more likely to own your own home than if you're younger. Makes sense. But I think that trend has been um, exacerbated recently, and so you see more and more headlines like this. Young buyers find home-owning dream a nightmare to fund. Uh, end of last year in the Herald, a generation of young Australians is being squeezed out of the housing market. Skyrocketing house prices and the difficulty of saving a deposit are putting a, uh, the great Australian home owning sorry the great Australian home owning dream out of reach of many. In fact, in January last year it was the lowest level of first home buyer um, uh, sorry lowest level of first home buying in in uh, time since the stats have been recorded. Only 773 dwellings. That really hit rock bottom in January of last year. Uh, i tell you what we've done to home prices in the last 30 years. Well, let me show you. We've just kind of doubled our house prices relative to wages. In the 1970s, it took five times average earnings to buy a house. By 1993, it was six times average earnings. Now, it's ten times average earnings. And notice I've said it's the same percentage. About 70% of people own their own homes or are paying it off, but we've doubled the price. How have we done that? Women have gone out to work. I'm not against women working. I'm just saying it now now takes, you say, one income to buy a house, now it takes two. Now, our houses are much bigger than they used to be. They're also much emptier because we're all at work all the time. what are the pressures, as I've looked, uh, some of it is investment driven, but a lot of it is just plain demographics. There's a housing shortage in Sydney that's pushed prices up. Uh, there are lots of parts of Sydney that if you're young, the only way you'll ever get a house uh, in most, of or a lot of Sydney is you needed to choose your parents very carefully because it'll be on the basis of an inheritance. We are obsessed about houses. Um, Every week, the local newspaper is delivered to my door. Uh, it's about an inch thick, and all but 10 pages of it is real estate. Uh, is pretty much the same where you are? It's just beautiful. As one person I heard call it, it's real estate porn. It's, uh, it's all, you know, touched up with Photoshop. It looks really good. It makes you uh, slightly unsatisfied with the, one, the house that you're in a relationship with already. There's all sorts of ways that it kind of lines up anyway. And not only that... Uh, Television. Now, I've found, uh, I think it's six, yeah, six different shows, uh, reality television shows about real estate. So, uh, The Block, House Rules, Better Homes and Gardens, which could also be called Better Homes Than Yours, uh, Selling Houses Australia, Location, 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 and Grand Designs Australia. Does anyone want to own up to the fact that I've missed some? It's, we love houses, real estate, we watch television shows about them. Okay. Okay. There's lots of things that the Bible would say to address a situation like this. The Bible would speak to those who govern our country about being fair and just and actually helping those who are poor or those who are not rich to own their own homes rather than favouring the rich. The Bible has a lot to say about that. The Bible also understands um, the idea of greed and wanting more and more and And the foolishness of making a thing that we own into the centre of our lives, the Bible calls that idolatry. But I wanted to focus today on the idea of that desire to belong, the the, the idea of home and land and being something that we, yeah, the desire to belong, to be secure. And what God would say to us, God says to us in the Bible, what would God say to the 30% who won't own their own homes? is exactly the same as he'd say to the 70% who do. It's a very radical thing. It's something that, my guess is, most people won't want to hear. What God says is, sure, the, the desire to belong and to feel secure and to have that idea of a home is great. Make sure you choose the one that is the long-term home and long-term security rather than investing in what's just temporary. Let me just give you a little snapshot of what the Bible says. The idea of belonging, the idea of land, the idea of security is very important uh, in the Old Testament particularly, where the promised land, the land of Canaan, uh, where the nation of Israel lived, each tribe, each family was given their own land to live, kind of in perpetuity. And there were were safeguards actually put into the law of Moses to make sure that the land would stay in the family uh, to the point where every 50 years, All the arrangements, everything you'd sold, all the debts were cancelled, all the pieces kind of put back in the box and they started again. The year of Jubilee, as it was called. Unfortunately, in the Old Testament, the nation of Israel didn't uh, follow what God said, didn't honour him, walked away from him and God, as he he warned them, threw them out of the land. And they end up uh, in Babylon uh, and as they're in Babylon... Uh, the Bible writers begin to talk about the people of Judah as they're there as the exiles. And the idea of being an exile is someone who is living in one place and yet their heart and their home and their longing and their security is somewhere else. And so that theme, um, you get around the time of Daniel, about 600 BC, this idea of God's people being exiles and then after 70, 80 years, he brings them back to the land again. Now, how is that relevant it's the way that the New Testament actually talks about Christian people, people who follow Jesus as being, as being exiles. Uh, let me show you, it's, um, it's in your program, if, you, if you'd like to look uh, on the inside fold of your program you you're given, there's two parts of the New Testament. The letter of 1 Peter, or Peter's first letter that he writes to Christian people, notice what he calls these people who had become followers of Jesus, Uh, It'll be on the screen or in your hand. 1 Peter chapter 1, he says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, exiles, scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Uh, Where are all those places? Well, here's a map. Effectively, it's modern-day Turkey, what was then called Asia Minor. But you can see where all of those different provinces were. Did you notice what he calls them? Exiles. It's not that they have moved out of where they were home, they have always lived in these places. But what's he saying? That these people have now begun to look to to long for, to find security in another place. So they live here and yet they feel like they are spiritually exiles. He's going to go on and talk about what we would call heaven. It's a strange thing that as a, as a Christian, as someone who follows Jesus uh, in Sydney today, it's kind of embarrassing to, to talk about heaven. M- much easier to talk about Jesus' ethics, for example. You know, uh, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Everyone knows that's right. That's kind of a really easy thing to talk about. We don't do it, but we know it's right. Okay? But when it comes to heaven, it's kind of that idea of, uh, you know, it's a cliche, it's... it's just wishful thinking, or it's something that you tell children to help them through the difficulties of life if someone dies. Uh, How could you know? It would be boring anyway. Imagine sitting on a cloud with a harp. How long would you want to do that for? Uh, Look at what Peter says. And look at what he says about how you would know that this is the case. How do you know it's true? He says in the middle of verse 3 there, about in his, God's, In his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. What's he say about an inheritance? It'll not perish, spoil or fade. It's real and it's permanent. It won't fade away, real and permanent. And how can we know? Do you notice in the middle of verse 3 he says, uh, a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The resurrection of Jesus is, is like a, a state driven into history. And the evidence that it happened is very strong. Okay? My frustration over the years has not been trying to get people to, to realise the evidence is strong, is getting anyone to look at the evidence. But you look at the evidence and it doesn't take too long. Uh, in fact, my colleague Ian Powell is starting a... Uh, short course for the curious uh, over the next few weeks if you wanted to go along Ian can walk you through that talk talk with you we'll give you something to read but see, he says Jesus promised this inheritance to those who would follow him promised um uh, heaven if you like and he rose again from the dead to show that he did conquer death that what he says is true and Peter saying that's happened I've seen it you know this is happening There's all sorts of different ways that uh, Jesus in the New Testament talk about the idea of heaven. Uh, Sometimes uh, Jesus will say, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Or sometimes it's talked about as a wedding feast, kind of a great banquet that'll be fun. Sometimes it's talked about the kingdom of God, the idea of knowing God personally as God God reigns. Sometimes it's called the new creation. Uh, Sometimes the city of God. Uh, The Apostle John gives us a vision of it. If you look at uh, the other... Part of the Bible it's printed out there uh, in your program at the end of the book of Revelation John has a vision of uh, the new creation as he calls it let me read it to you it's, it's picture language but you get the you get the vibe he says chapter 21 then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. God will be there. Uh And notice what's promised. What will it be like? Verse 4, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. You notice it says he'll wipe every tear from their eyes? Have you ever thought just how close you have to be to someone to do that? You can't do it by Facebook, you can't do it by email, you can't do it over the phone. You've got to be close to someone and, and very, very gentle. You wipe the tears from a child's eyes. You have to be very careful. And what's he saying? That God will be with his people and God will do that. He'll wipe every tear from the eyes. This is for those who follow Jesus. Wipe every tear from their eyes. And there'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain or cruelty or injustice or selfishness or loneliness. And the promise is it'll be real and physical. The way that Jesus rose, God will raise his people who follow Jesus. That's the promise. Now, of course, if you believe that and truly kind of if you believe it and digest it, you will long for it. You will feel like an exile here and as you long for that. Of course, not everybody believes that. Uh, here's a quote from Tim Ferguson. Uh, he was in the Doug Anthony All-Stars. I'm not sure what he's doing these days. a comedian. you see his face on uh, on TV and he's got quite a turn of phrase. Let me read you what he says about the afterlife or his unbelief in that. Tim Ferguson says, I don't believe in life after death. It's just too improbable. Don't worry. Refusing to believe in the afterlife is not as bleak as it seems. You see, those who think they can cheat death never live life to its full. You can't live each day as if it's your last if you think you'll never have a last. The smug self-assuredness that goes with belief in eternal life robs the religious of the mad, scrabbling desire to make this life the single, definitive expression of who we are. We have one chance of getting life, life right. Isn't that a greater challenge than avoiding sin so we can get a cloud, a harp, and all the chocolate we can eat at the end? But I wonder if I might put a, an alternative view. Who's a young man when he wrote that, 33 I think it was, not that a young man can't be right but just put 20, 30 years on that and I'd want to ask how long can you live each day as if it's your last before it dawns on you that if this is all there is, nothing that we do really, really matters, it'll all fade away. You take a walk through an old cemetery and look at the headstones, and then think, where's their scrabbling desire to make this life a single definitive expression of who we are? And it's just, it's dust, and no one remembers. As you get older, you realise just how temporary we are. I've got a friend uh, who's 80, 84. He's a great player. I love spending time with him. But as I talk with him, his peers are dying or they're in nursing homes or they have dementia, where he worked is disappearing. His whole life he can see how temporary it was. Even Bruce Springsteen knows that. Now, if you know me, uh, there'll be people around rolling their eyes. I've been very, very self-controlled. This is the only Springsteen quote this year, okay? All right. But uh, Springsteen uh, did a concert um, at the Giants Stadium in New Jersey uh, as they were about to... This is America for you. The stadium on the right was too small, so they knocked it down and built the stadium on the left. Uh, Okay. They had a concert in the stadium on the right before they knocked it down in 2009. Springsteen wrote the song Wrecking Ball as they were about to demolish the stadium. It fits... Basically, it's about the stadium and yet it's about all of our lives. Here's what he says. Now, when all this steel and these stories, they drift away to rust and all our youth and beauty have been given to the dust, when the game has been decided and we're burning down the clock and all our little victories and glories have turned into parking lots, when your best hopes and desires are scattered to the wind and hard times come and hard times go... And the song basically says, bring on your wrecking ball and we'll fight it. But Bruce, you, you can't in the end. Stadiums turn to dust and houses turn to dust and we turn to dust. And what does Peter say in his letter? There's a living hope. A living hope because Jesus rose from the dead and he's promised an inheritance to those who will follow him and trust him. And you know what? It's, it's not just pie in the sky. That hope reaches back and makes all the difference now. It... It means you can you can sit light at all of the stuff that we own and not be owned by it. It means that when you're in the middle of a really hard time, you know it's only temporary and you can look past it. It means that you, everything you value kind of is is affected by what will have value in eternity. So what would Jesus say? Owning a house is a good thing, okay, but if you think it's the ultimate thing, you're dreaming, okay because there's something much, much better that he offers. Craig, we're all yours.
0: Thanks Al. Okay, it's now your turn. I'll give you a few minutes to think about Al's talk and to consider whether you have any questions that that you'd like to ask Al or comments to make about, about what he said, about the home being the place where we have a sense of belonging, land, Heaven. Do you believe in heaven? Do you believe in Al's take on why there is a heaven or what it's going to be like? So I'll just give you a few minutes to digest what's being said and to send in your questions to the SMS number there or to write them on the slip of paper inside the program. Just hold it up and uh, Peter will wander around and collect them. Oh, actually we'll get Mark to do that. Or in a minute or two, if you'd like to ask a question from the floor, just stick up your hand and I'll bring the mic over to you. Yeah, we've got our first question just here.
3: John. Um, uh, yeah. Hi. Um, I think um, the difficulty in life is that we're surrounded by um, secular things. You know, we live our lives the way we do, um, and we have our, our vision and our priorities in life, and and we read about um, about Christ and, and God and the things He offers, but in a sense a lot of it is so wonderful that it's outside the little preserve, the little, uh, the little the narrow thinking of our, our lives and the, you our know, friends and the way we live. We're sort of like little ants trying to understand Beethoven or something like that, you know? And the thing is that we can't lift our vision up to, to understand it. And sadly, um, sometimes uh, we, we don't grab hold of it because the, rea- the reality of the little things... Of you know the day to day of what we're going to eat and a glass of beer and that sort of thing, um, and it's a big tragedy. And how can we sort of overcome that? I guess okay. it's a big question. Yeah, big right? question.
2: Yeah. You still need to live. Uh, so now, not all of us follow Jesus. That's that's fine. And if you're not there yet, great. Just have a think about this, rugby your chin. We still so, want to operate at a. At a nuts and bolts levels. You're going to have to worry about dinner tonight if you follow Jesus. You're going to have to worry about you know, where do you live and pay bills, uh, etc. So that, all those practical things, yes. But what the New Testament keeps saying is lift your head and and look beyond and look to what Jesus promised and kind of like heads up and and see the future, what the long game is and, and seeing the future changes now. Your difficulties, your struggles, what's important. In terms of trying to understand, I think that's why the Bible keeps talking to us in word pictures. The promise of the new creation of what it'll be like, I think it'll be bigger and better than we can wrap our heads around, but that's why Jesus says, well, it'll be like a wedding feast with all your friends and food and it'll be great fun. Uh, Or it'll be like uh, a king who's generous. Or it'll be like a new city that's beautiful and safe and the sun always shines. So they use different word pictures to tell you different parts of it. Rather than, I'm I saying that you can have the um, uh, the complete concrete picture. So that's 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 why it's using word pictures. Okay? I think that's why. It's the idea of heads up and look to the future, rather than we we to get kind of yeah bogged down. Uh, I, I cut the quote out, but I had one from John Newton where he says, "If you're the, the Christian person, often lives their life like." Someone who's on their way to, his example was, I think it was New York, on their way to New York to inherit a multi-billion dollar inheritance and their carriage breaks down a mile short. And they walk the last mile wringing their hands saying, my carriage is broken, my carriage is broken, rather than thinking where they're going to be in five minutes. So, yep, he said a bit better than I did.
0: Okay, there's... Another question: Is it wrong? Is it wrong, therefore, to to own an, an earthly castle, a house, if you thank God
2: for it? No. There you go. <laughs> uh, no, not at all. Uh, not wrong to own a house or or even houses. The problem comes when they own you. I, I think that's that's the point. Uh, we call on to be financially wise. Um, to save, to own stuff is good, to make wise financial decisions. It's not wrong to be wealthy, it's just dangerous and a little seductive because it's so easy to end up with your wealth and your money as the centre of your life and where you look for security and significance rather than in knowing God. There's nothing wrong with owning a house when your house owns you. Um, you Alan,
3: um, just on that last comment, why isn't it wrong for you to own two houses? When you mentioned it's not wrong owning a house or a few houses, when if, if people own two houses, That's it's going to be so much harder for other people to own one. Why? It would seem to be. It's like if I, if I own if there's only ten coats for sale and I take two and it's cold, that means someone's not going to get one.
2: That's a good question. And I thought of that since I was in It seems to me that in the the worldview that it's not wrong for people who work hard to accumulate wealth as long as they're generous to it. It seems to me that. And so, um, I probably need to say, my beautiful wife owns some real estate, and uh, she's inherited that and is part of the family, and yet what's she done? Well, she's put people in that long term. Uh, people that she knows need a hand and some of them is like protected tenants. So, she's, so maybe I need to acknowledge the conflict of interest there but that's, that's what she's done with that. Uh, now, I think there is a point where as a nation we could make it much easier to, for people to buy houses but there's going to be great political costs to the government that makes those changes. Need to hearing, etc. Now the full implications of that and then while she here, not me. Now if that's not a good answer, I have gotta say I've got skin in the game, I guess. I think the Cathy answered that Yeah, so problem. that's what she's done. I'm trying to be generous with that. Um, but it's a fair question.
0: Someone's asked asked for you to comment on Tim Ferguson's views that if you believe in a life in life after death that you won't live life to the full every day here.
2: Uh, Okay, It's a clever quote from him, isn't it? That's why you want to actually put articulate people who are opposing, you want to give that some airtight. I put it back to him and say, if you believe that nothing you do now is particularly going to matter in the long run and it's all just going to end up dust in the wind, why would you bother? And especially, why would you bother being moral or right or wrong and caring about right and wrong rather than just being selfish and hedonistic. If you believe that what you do now has value into eternity and your actions will be rewarded by God and will have uh, value for other people and so into eternity then that actually brings kind of that electricity into how you live now. So I I'd actually see it as the other one but then that's not a surprise as so I would. Okay. So it is a worldview thing. But I tell Tim Ferguson too, you go visit an old people's home, or you go visit a dementia ward, and you tell them to live every day as if it's their last. When you are, it's a different story.
0: Thanks very much, Al. That's all we've got time for today. Uh, Just before you go, I want to tell you about three things. The first is if you are interested in that short course looking at the life and teaching of Jesus over four sessions on a Wednesday night after work, you could go and um, have a chat to the guy who's leading that particular course for more information and that's Ian, the guy over there, who who asked the question. Secondly, next Monday night, uh, we've booked a theatre and we're showing the movie The Son of God and there's still some tickets available for that. And also we have a few complimentary or free tickets to uh, give away. And if you're, if you're interested in going in the draw for those, you would just, just need to put your name and contact details on the back of yeah, one of the flyers and give it to myself afterwards and we'll put you in the draw and you might get one of the complimentary tickets. And thirdly, we've got a really exciting forum discussion or panel discussion next week on the topic... Is it loving to stop the boats? Now, this is a controversial and quite emotional issue in our society. Should we stop refugees, asylum seekers, freeloaders, whatever your view is on coming to Australia? So we've got a three-person panel here next Thursday, same time, and they're from different perspectives. So there should be... Yeah, it should be an interesting discussion. Well, as you go back to work today, it'd be good to think about whereabouts do you belong. Have a great afternoon. The recording that you have just listened to is from the City Bible Forum. For more information about City Bible Forum events in your city or to order other talks, please visit
3: citybibleforum.org.